Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Companies that set out to change the world should stand for something. Something that matters. For Tanium, it was managing and protecting the world's growing number of endpoints. Tanium empowers organizations to embrace digital transformation and change the way people both work and live. They help critical government agencies see what's coming, protect and defend five branches of the U.S. military, and more than half of the Fortune 100 rely on Tanium to manage and secure their critical assets. To learn more, visit Tanium.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiaki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiaki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hi there. This is the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and promote evolutionary thinking. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring creative dreaming. We spend over a third of our lives doing what we know next to nothing about, sleeping and dreaming. On the Science of Magic, we've been examining dreams from many perspectives, considering interpretation and processing, lucidity, astral projection, and precognition. Dreams are indeed a fascinating subject. If we spend so much time in the activity, wouldn't it make sense to figure out how we can get dreams to work for us rather than just going along for the ride? Can we participate in our dreams more fully rather than simply trying to remember them and figure out what they mean? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could engage the one-third of our lives and transform it from a minor curiosity into powerful creativity? Our guest this hour has some very exciting insights on the topic. With us is Andrew Holacek, the author of Dream Yoga, Illuminating Your Life Through Lucid Dreaming, and The Tibetan Yogas of Sleep. He's a spiritual teacher who offers talks, online courses, and workshops in the United States and abroad. As a longtime student of Buddhism, Andrew frequently presents his tradition from contemporary perspective, blending the ancient wisdom of the East with the modern knowledge from the West. Drawing on years of intensive study and practice, he teaches about opportunities that exist in obstacles, helping people with hardship and pain, death and dying. Known as an expert on lucid dreaming and the Tibetan yogas of sleep and dream, he's an experienced guide for students drawn to those powerful nocturnal practices. His website, andrewholacek.com. Andrew, thanks for joining us on The Science of Magic. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. How did you get interested in dreams in the first place? Oh gosh, well you know I, I've I've had a very rich 
dreamlike for life as far back as my memory goes. But I had a particularly powerful experience, one of these really uh, almost archetypal before and after experiences in my early 20s, where um, I entered somewhat spontaneously this um, altered state of consciousness, you could say, um, that included uh, a, a tremendous increase in the frequency of my lucid dreams. And lucid dreams, of course, are when you wake up to the fact that you're dreaming while still remaining in the dream. So over a period of about two weeks, I, I literally had um, lucid dreams virtually every single night. And then what became um, really interesting was as my dream life became more and more real, my so-called waking reality became more dreamlike. Um, mm. And so it, it was a marvelous um, kind of shattering experience about, you know, what is it that's actually real? And, and uh, incredibly fascinating experience for around two weeks. And then because I really didn't have the psychic infrastructure to understand what was happening, I, well, I, I basically started reacting to an experience that was originally so refreshing and I basically started to panic because the, the ground of my reality was being pulled out under my feet. And so I, I kind of shut the experience down and then that really catapulted me onto my spiritual path because I had to really figure out what the heck was that. Um, and I spent really about five to 10 years systematically studying the world's great religious, um, philosophical and contemplative traditions. And then stumbled really by process of elimination ac across the teachings of the Buddhist tradition and was immediately taken by the fact that Buddha means the awakened one. And uh, that immediately drew me to that path. And ever since then, dreams have been a monumental aspect of my own psycho-spiritual development. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Once you've had an experience like that, even if you shut it down, you're never the same and you can't let it go. Isn't it true? And really what I often say with these, uh, Gwilda, is that, and this is why I encourage people to explore sleep and dream in this spiritual way is that it's it's somewhat like having a near-death experience where you're touching something so foundational that it one experience alone can transform you so i mean if you've had an nde near-death experience you don't have to have them all the time <laughs> thank goodness need, yeah exactly we're going to need to take a, a short break okay <laughs> and Andrew and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. The Science of Magic is produced by Realmo McConnell Media Company, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7, 365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation, 
focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Andrew Holacek, author of Dream Yoga, Illuminating Your Life Through Lucid Dreaming, and the Tibetan Yogas of Sleep. His website, andrewholacek.com. Andrew, can we actually empower our lives through working with our dreams? Oh, I think so very much, uh, truly, because... One of the things is I've come to understand that that um, occurs when we engage in these nocturnal practices is that we are indeed tapping into vast natural resources, um, the deeper strata of our own being. And I often use the analogy of how it is that um, when you are working with um, infrastructure, even in, in a literal sense, for instance, like the tectonic plates of reality, a minor shift in uh, these deeper dimensions can have vast surface uh, implications and repercussions. So really when you're working with these experiences, you're working with deeper strata of your own mind, the tectonic plates of your own life. And and every, as every psychologist really since Freud will tell you backstage always runs on stage. The unconscious mind really dictates up to 95% of so-called conscious experience. And so what makes lucid dreaming in particular so compelling is that it's a um, a hybrid state of consciousness where the conscious mind can actually face the unconscious mind directly. And that's where the unique transformative potential lies. Um, and that's why I encourage people to at least uh, give it a, a, a try because you can literally go to sleep um, in, a, in a highly confused way and wake up um, quite transformed. And the literature, both spiritual and psychological, is replete with stories that attest to just that kind of transformation. It sounds like you're saying we create our reality in our dreams. Well, in our dreams we do. It's it's literally called lucid solipsism. And as you know, solipsism is a kind of the philosophy of, of whereabout we do create our reality. So in, in a dream, of course, we are the creators of our reality. In, in so-called waking ro- world, we are 
I would assert, co-creators. So solipsism doesn't really apply for waking reality. Um, I think that can be somewhat problematic. But what the understanding of the power of the mind as it's revealed in the dream state does is show us, in fact, how it is that we profoundly color our waking reality. Um, and so what we do in these nocturnal practices is we use the medium of the night to explore and enrich our days. And I think this is critically important, that lucid uh, dreaming really leads to lucid living. It's mm -hmm. a bi-directional process. You know, when you're working down there, you don't just leave the insights that you glean from your dream experiences down in a repository of your unconscious mind. You take those illuminating insights into your life and, in fact, start to illuminate your daily life. And that's the really compelling part. It's, it really, to me, well, it's like the pedagogy of the education of the future. It's, it's really like adding a night shift or going to night school where you can add all this extra time, um, which in these days, you know, it's the most treasured commodity is, is our time. And so instead of wasting um, up to 33% of your life lost in sleep and dream, you can start to bring it on the path of psycho-spiritual awakening. How does lucid dreaming differ from other kinds of dreams? Um, well, by definition, and this is a great question, because lucidity, in the context we're exploring it here, has a very specific definition. It, it, it means that you wake up to the fact that you're dreaming while you're dreaming. It's different from having a lucid dream in terms of like a really clear dream. Um, so you're awake to the fact that you're dreaming and you know it. So it has a particular bandwidth of applicability. Um, and this is not in any way to dismiss the other bandwidths, which I am a huge practitioner of, like classic dream interpretation, um, surrogate dreaming, incubating dreams, these sorts of things that have been going on for millennia. But lucid dreaming has a, is a very specific type of approach that I um, – often say kind of uh, transcends but includes the more traditional forms of, of conscious dreaming. In other words, it, in my opinion, it goes a little bit deeper. Um, and one way I make this distinction is that these more psychologically oriented methods, which again, I am a huge fan of, for instance, the work of Jung and others, they really at best can keep the dream of life from turning into a nightmare. Um, <laughs> dream yoga and lucid dreaming wakes you up from the dream altogether. So it just goes, in my experience and understanding, it just goes a little bit deeper, a little bit more foundational. Okay, you know, I'd like to make a comparison here just for clarification. Sure. Um, the shamanic journey trance is a measurable altered state of consciousness whereby the practitioner uses ritual, okay, to drop their alpha brain waves to 7.5 hertz. And it's, it's consistent and it's measurable. Right. And they create a trance much like an interactive dream. How does lucid dreaming differ from the shamanic yeah, trance? Yeah, terrific question. Well, um, you know, it's interesting, parenthetically, that, that, as you know, many shamans work with lucidity. I mean, that's where they go to bring in their insights. Um, so it's hard to say for sure, because these different types of shamanic trances, you know, can we say with authority that they're um, equivocal in all traditions? I think that's somewhat difficult. But the bottom line, as you point out, is that you are, in both instances, you are tapping into deeper dimensions. And there are you know, neurological correlates, as you alluded to, and these can be measured by things like EEG. And as you know, when we go to sleep, just to, to make this analogy a little bit more um, concrete, so to speak, when we go to sleep, we're really downshifting the mind from high frequency um, daytime, uh, you know, 16 to 30 hertz experiences. We literally downshift into a pre-sleep state. We drop into the seven or eight hertz range that you're talking about. That's when we start to enter... Um, deeper dimensions, and then we can even take it all the way down into delta, um, which is zero to four cycles per second or hertz. And that's where you're really tapping into the foundation. So what shamans do, to my understanding, is they can tap into very similar or uh, concordant dimensions of mind, um, voluntarily using their trance techniques that I believe are highly resonant with what happens with uh, lucidity and lucid dreaming. Because when you come up from a the, dream, the dreamless state into the dream state and you're lucid, the brain actually re-enters um, bandwidths of uh, frequency that are, that are similar to what even happens in waking consciousness. And this is how they can tell scientifically that someone is actually dreaming when they're dreaming, you know, by doing these sorts of measurements and other tests. So I hope that answers your, or at least points to some suggestions about your, you know, your compelling question. Yeah. Well, 
when working in the shamanic trance, the practitioner can actually affect ordinary reality by, as near as I can tell, manipulating quantum level frequencies. Can we also affect change in ordinary reality through our lucid dreaming? <laughs> yeah, that's graduate school lucid dreaming, my dear. Yeah, uh, in <laughs> fact, yes, indeed. In, in the, it's a little bit es- more esoteric, but in the classic traditions, um, in the Eastern traditions, they talk about, as you know, the term is SIDI, S-I-D-D-H-I, which refers to the psychic power. And they differentiate between relative and absolute city. And relative city is what you're talking about. The capability, the ability, um, shamanic or otherwise, to manipulate um, the external world, so-called external world. And yes, indeed, at at very advanced stages of dream yoga, um, practitioners really um, can have virtually miraculous control over the external world. And this comes from deep teachings, and I can give you references if you're so interested. And the basic idea is that if you can control your inner scape, your inner mindscape to such an extent, um, because of the non-dual fundamental nature of reality, when the mind has that kind of inward control, um, inward even elemental control, it can in fact start to control the external world. Um, And so this is a really rich arena that is a little bit more um, prescription strength, um, so to speak. You know, it's, it's a little bit more esoteric than exoteric, but it certainly has a place within this practice tradition. So when you're lucid dreaming, can it become interactive that you can start to direct, to direct it? Well, that's actually the point. Um, you know, you want to start to take control over processes that previously controlled you. So if, this is really important because, of course, when we're trapped in a normal non-lucid dream, which is really most of our dreams, we fundamentally don't have any control, right? We're just being buffeted around by the contents of our own mind. And so with the onset of lucidity, it's a sudden game changer because on the spot, the tables are suddenly turned. Um, Instead of being subject to the dictates of your unconscious mind as it's unleashed in the medium of the dream, you now have control. And, you know, the, the degree of that control is, is a somewhat contested issue. Um, but in my experience being with really advanced dream yoga masters, the control can become complete. And it makes total sense to me because when you're working with your dreams, what are you really doing? You're working with your mind. You're working with your mind as it expresses itself free from sensory constraint. And so people who have tremendous control over their daytime mind and this, of course, segues into how you can prepare for the state, um, how can you can prepare for lucidity. You do it by working with your daytime mind. And so if you gain great stability with your daytime mind, you start to control it. That mind is similarly, similarly released, free from sensory constraint in the dream state. And you can gain incredible control over your mind. And this is, in fact, what dictates the progression of, of stages and practices in classic dream yoga where you start with relatively easy practices and you progress to extremely subtle, highly reformed practices, uh, refined practices that eventually um, really um, are all about complete control over one's mind. So, yeah, that's a great question. You know, some people are naturally, just naturally lucid dream. What about the rest of us? Yeah. (laughs) Can we learn? No, fantastic questions here. So, yeah, two things here. Um, One very important point that you just touched on, and and this isn't that well known in in the West, um, and that is that there are two ways, and I'll get to to both of your aspects of your question. There are two ways to approach lucidity. The more conventional way, and this is what I will talk about because it's the more accessible way, is you work with the practices that we can talk about, induction techniques, um, diurnal practices, daily practices, and the like. And then as a natural consequence of that kind of training, you start to have more lucid dreams. But a more absolute or unconventional approach, which is really important to understand, and you you suggested this very briefly, is that believe it or not, lucid dreaming is actually the natural type of dream. We have been trained into non-lucidity. Um, and so with the first approach, the relative approach, that's the path of effort. And that's what most of us do. The more absolute or unconventional approach is the path of relaxation, where truly the only thing you have to do to have these lucid dreams is relax into the already awakened or lucid nature of your mind. But for the rest of us, for most of us who, who don't have that, um, perhaps that kind of uh, talent or capability, and that's completely fine. It really is most of us. Then we go through this vast, incredibly sophisticated battery of 
practices and induction techniques, which if you want, we can talk about both from the East and the West. Um, and that's what I really try to do is bring a broad spectrum kind of integral approach to lucidity, East and West, daytime and nighttime. And I have found using these approaches that if one engages with them with some perseverance and, and really humor, like a light touch of humor is very important in this business. Gotta have humor. Yeah. <laughs> Humor is a very serious thing in this world. Yeah, they uh, actually say never trust a shaman without a sense of humor. Is that true? I, I, yeah. I don't know. That's, a, that's a maxim that I totally abide in. I mean, because really, as we both know, <laughs> fundamentally, this whole thing is just a big joke. It's a, it's a joke with a very bad punchline. And, and the, sooner, <laughs> the sooner we catch on to that joke, which I believe is what the great awakened ones from any tradition have done, then, of course, that isn't defined by a sense of levity the you know the playful sense of the term enlightenment playful playfulness and the like um but you can guide me in terms of how far you want me to go with you know talking a little bit about some induction processes because there's a very rich um arena of, of methods that we could talk about here oh, great well it's time for another short pause and we will dive into it when we get back andrew and i will return to this wonderful discussion on the other side of this break so don't go away we're coming to you through the exome broadcast network don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss shamanic counselor and indigenously trained dream decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello. 
Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Andrew Holacek, the author of Dream Yoga, Illuminating Your Life Through Lucid Dreaming, and The Tibetan Yogas of Sleep. His website, andrewholacek.com. Andrew, there was something you said that kind of got my mind going, that's always a dangerous thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you were talking about how lucid dreaming is our more natural state, and yeah. that we need to relax back into it. However, how much does our damage, our denial, and our lack of processing block us from doing that? Oh my goodness, it's monumental. It really is. And, and um, really, when I approach in fact, it's a book I'm working on now because the topic is so vast. When I approach um, the issue of lucidity and non-lucidity and, and, you know, this kind of integral perspective, what you just said is a really big part of it. Because, again, whether we are uh, – lucidity is a code word for awareness. So whether we are lucid or aware of it or not, we have, in fact, been um, culturally trained into non-lucidity. And it, it, just very briefly, this is so interesting to me, Will, that if you do – a little bit of a historical survey of, of world's um, and civilizations' relationships to dreams, uh, you might suspect that early on, um, indigenous cultures, pre-scientific cultures, pre-Aristotelian cultures had a very beautiful, elevated relationship to dreams. You can get a little bit of that not now when you um, learn about the Sonoy tradition and the Tibetan tradition and the uh, the Australian Aborigines and that and that sort of thing. But basically, what happened is that this um, sacred relationship to dreams was eventually quell, a squelch. It was starting with Aristotle, and then, unfortunately, with the Dark Ages and some very influential church fathers who basically started to demonize the dream, saying that you should completely disregard your dreams or the work of the devil run the other way. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, were, we were essentially evicted out of the temple of sleep. And, and I use that analogy because, as you know, in the Greek healing temples of Asclepius and the Mesopotamians, Egyptian, Chinese, and other great um, wisdom traditions, they literally had temples devoted to sleep. And so what I talk about uh, um, is when we now try to go against this vast tide of non-lucidity, we in fact have to engage in personal temple reconstruction projects where we have to um, really do the work to kind of purify all these obscurations that have been come up, that have come about culturally, socially, historically, and then of course individually or what's called phenomenologically. And so, um, what I have come to understand that is, if, if in Sun Tzu, the a classic text that, that you know is the Art of War, there's a wonderful teaching there where he says, you know, know your enemy, know thy enemy, know in this case why we are so non-lucid. If, in fact, lucidity is a natural state, just like your question begs, how did we become so non-lucid? And so if we understand the enemy, then we can shake hands with that enemy and transform it into a friend. And then all these forces that were previously conspiring to keep us in a non-lucid state can now be alchemically transformed into conspiring to wake us up. And I have... Yeah, it's a matter of embracing, isn't it, rather than avoiding... Absolutely. And then and then understanding this process. And, and so by understanding it, then that that is a that's a kind of game changer because you can really start to pave your way towards lucidity by, you know, approaching it in this more integrated perspective. I love it. So what's the difference between lucid dreaming and dream yoga? Yeah, well, you know, 
lucid dreaming, um, for the purposes, again, of distinguishing it from dream yoga, lucid dreaming has a, an incredible uh, bandwidth of uh, what I refer to as uh, psychological applicability. Um, you can use it for literally physical improvement of performance, mental rehearsal, psychological healing, working with grief. And I, I kind of paraphrase this entire um, aspect of lucid dreaming as uh, um, the process of self-fulfillment, which is beautiful. It's incredibly important. Dream yoga picks up where lucid dreaming leaves off. So instead of self-fulfillment, it's more about self-transcendence. Instead of psychology, it's more about spirituality. And uh, uh, you could, uh, of course, argue that the higher bandwidths of lucid dreaming do indeed become spiritual. No doubt about it. But dream yoga is not interested in transforming the contents um, of the dream so much. It's, it's, it's more about using the dream state for purposes of uh, spiritual development, for self-transcendence and fundamental spiritual awakening. And in the, the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, which I am a student of, it is considered a complete path to um, spiritual awakening. So for people who have an inclination, a talent, a predisposition for nocturnal practice, it, this can in fact become your entire practice career. Um, and yet so, just, just, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. Um, so if, if you wouldn't mind backing up just a sure. little bit, um, what is the self that we're transcending? I think yeah. a, a lot of times that's misunderstood. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, that's a can of worms. You know, well, first of all, as you know, um, and again, this is a huge topic. The, the self is an illusion. Um, it has a, a provisional validity, of course, in the traditions, as I've come to understand them. Um, we don't negate the relative validity of the sense of self. We have a body. We operate in the world. If you don't have a working sense of self, that's that's not enlightenment. That's psychosis. So <laughs> yeah. the the type of um, self that we're working with in these dream yoga practices is in fact um, trying to see through the facade of this process of self. Um, and again, this is a monumental topic, but technically speaking, we have this solid sense. It's, the word is reification. We have this reified I that we feel, you know, gosh darn it, I, I exist. Well, you, you know, that's a non-lucid way of looking at things. And, and I would actually argue that's one reason we suffer is because we do feel we have this immutable sense of self. And so what, what especially the Buddhist tradition, as you know, and the Hindu tradition and others goes after is, well, let's, let's wake up to this. Let's take a really close look at this thing we impute, project to be a self, and see if, in fact, that is the case. And so the way this dovetails into dream yoga is that you can come to explore the, the very ground of what gives birth to the illusion of self. And if there are Buddhists in the audience, this is what's referred to as the substrate consciousness in Buddhist maps of mind. Um, and so when you're in the lucid and the dream state, you can actually work with the foundations of this relative sense of self. Um, and then, of course, the process is to go even deeper, to go below that and, and you know, in a certain sense, look up as if you're diving between you know, deeper into this uh, surface of the ocean of your own being. You look up and you still see the facade. You still see the play of what we impute to be the relative self. But you are no longer caught in, in that surface chop, so to speak. You have a deeper perspective that is, has transcended the illusion of the self. And the reason that's so incredibly helpful is that, again, using this idea of what Hegel referred to, the great philosopher, as transcend but include, you can still come up from this more enlightened perspective, and I would argue this is what the great awakened masters do, you can still embody and operate and function from a conventional relative egoic point of view as a way to communicate with others. That's what I would argue is the definition of skillful means, but you no longer are caught into it. You're in the world, but not of it. So you're, then, you're letting go of false identity exactly. and dance, dancing with unity, but able to bridge into the human experience. Absolutely. That's beautifully said. That's exactly right. So it's like I, I talk about it playfully as, you know, we are all victims of this wild primordial identity theft. Um, you know, our, yeah. our identity has been stolen by these surface machinations of mind. We think forms are us. We think appearances are real. And so exactly as you said, Rolda, with this deeper um, we kind of solving the crime of this primordial identity theft, discovering who you truly are 
at your awakened nature. And this, of course, is what in, in Buddhism is referred to as your Buddha nature. You know, the fundamental core of your being is already awake. And of course, if that's true, that dovetails back into why you would then have from that stance, all your dreams would be lucid. But the really important point is exactly what you said. You never lose that stance of awakening. You come back into the world with that stance with, you know, you bring it with you. That light never turns off. And then you shine that light around the rest of the world with your um, compassion. So wisdom is realizing, you could say, the teachings of no self. Um, that's what wisdom is. But by discovering that you're nothing or no thing, the simultaneous, beautiful, elegant conclusion is by becoming nothing, you really become everything. Exactly. So, so that wisdom then becomes the basis for compassion. So you don't just keep this, this treasure trove of insight for yourself. You come back into the world and you realize that the suffering of others is your suffering, quote unquote, and mm -hmm. you want to get rid of it. So, yeah. the, so the wisdom then becomes immediately expressed as spontaneous compassion. Beautiful. So is, is dream yoga actually from the yoga tradition? Uh, yeah, well, yes, indeed. I mean, it, it, there are different traditions to speak of, of yoga, as you know. Um, I just align myself more with the Tibetans because they seem to have the most uh, elaborate explanation of it. But you will find intimations of it in the Taoist tradition. Hinduism talks about yoga nidra and others. And we're talking about yoga here in two senses. Um, people often say, well, dream yoga, what is it? You know, so yoga, as you know, um, etymologically means to yoke. So at its deepest level, what you're doing with dream yoga is you're yoking or uniting, as we just suggested, to the deepest dimensions of your being. On the more colloquial expression, yoga is really like stretching or reaching. So in this kind of more relative definition, you're reaching um, conscious awareness, stretching conscious awareness into previously unconscious domains. And so it does, in fact, come from the yogic traditions. Again, it depends on how you define that term. But it has been around for thousands of years, um, cultivated in different ways, even by shamanic traditions. They use different terms for it. But again, lucidity is a natural kind of... Um, you could say birthright of any uh, mind, of any um, awareness. And so any access, anybody has access and availability to relating and working with their mind in this capacity. It's just that some of the Eastern traditions, for some reason, have a little bit more articulate and, I would argue, more sophisticated way of working with it. In the West, we're catching up. I mean, lucid dreaming, when it was scientifically proven here, it was a monumental turning point. And, and truly, in my experience, um, both in my own practice and in teaching it, I have actually found that the induction techniques from the West are more effective for Westerners than the induction techniques from the East. Exactly. So, you really have to approach a culture from its base, don't you, when well, you're doing this totally. stuff? Totally. Yeah, I take advantage of it. And, and the work of these marvelous psychologists and scientists and cognitive scientists, you know, ever since lucid dreaming was scientifically proven, it has gained tremendous traction in the West. And so lots of studies are coming out now showing increased induction methods. And so this beautiful union of East and West, you know, night and day, inner and outer, is the approach I bring to trying to articulate this elegant tradition. So I uh, have a little less than a minute left here. What's, uh, what is a scientific proof? How is it scientifically proven? Yeah, well, uh, in 1975 in England, um, 1977 Stanford by Stephen LaBerge, very, very clever ways of proving it. Um, what they were when you fall asleep your entire body is paralyzed it's called sleep paralysis or sleep atonia your muscles are frozen when you dream so that you don't act out your dream and hurt people very interesting your eye muscles are not frozen so ram literally ram is indicative of the dream state literally means rapid eye movement and so while these scientists well, were we're going to i'm afraid we're going to have to uh, pick up with this very <laughs> okay. fascinating subject on the other side of this commercial break Andrew and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is The Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive your amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net.
Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network. Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. 
Our guest this hour is Andrew Holacek, the author of Dream Yoga, Illuminating Your Life Through Lucid Dreaming, and the Tibetan Yogas of Sleep. His website, andrewholacek.com. Andrew, this being the science of magic, um, let's go into the scientific proof of the magical state of dreaming. Yeah, sure. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so as we were stating, when you uh, fall asleep, you go through a a series of very articulate stages um, that the scientific community has established for many, many decades now. And the way this uh, lucid dreaming was proven was... um, uh, when you fall asleep, you enter a, uh, a state, actually when you're dreaming, it's called REM sleep, the acronym of which is rapid eye movement. And this is how they can tell when a person is dreaming. Literally, the eyes dart back and forth, and they can use ocular measuring devices to actually detect that movement very specifically. And so that in conjunction with um, e, uh, uh, EOMs, which are divide instruments um, designed to show the atonia in the muscle, so when you're sleeping, I should say when you're dreaming, as I alluded to, your muscles are frozen. So they can measure that your muscles are unable to move. They can also measure your EEG or brainwave patterns. And so what they did was they conjoined all these um, three and gifted lucid dreamers um, like Stephen LaBerge from Stanford, who was the person in the United States to do so. What he did was when he uh, went to sleep, he said, OK, I am going to send you a code, kind of Morse code with my eyes, because that's the one muscle I can still voluntarily move. What you do with your dream eyes, you do with your waking eyes. Um, and so when he was in the lucid sleep, a lucid dream state, he was able to Morse code a signal through the movement of his dream eyes, which moved his physical eyes. The scientists were able to recognize that. They were able to associate that with the EG and the muscular atonia. And through that, it was scientifically proven. And again, this has been done over and over and over. And it was a paradigm shift for the psychological community because before that, it was an oxymoron. How can you be dreaming and awake at the same time? And LaBerge proved it. Um, And so now really, just parenthetically, I have to say, the next big quest is trying to prove what's called lucid sleep, which is how (laughs) you can can maintain uh, full awareness in the deep dreamless state. But that's perhaps for a different session. Yeah, we'll have to do that one. That's that that has my interest up. Is you know, so what's learned the shamanic trance can be engaged and directed at will rather than having to go to sleep. Are there advantages of lucid dreaming over the shamanic trance work? Well, again, you know, they both have their place. So that's what I always argue, and this is why I like integral study so much, is that these skillful means both have their places. So there is there is a kind of analog you could say with what's called waking induced lucid dreaming. So for instance, if someone becomes really proficient with lucidity, um, they can drop from a waking state of consciousness into the dreaming state within seconds. And, and the acronym of waking-induced lucid dreaming is compelling. It literally is wild. So within a matter of seconds, not um, unlike what a shaman can do, um, they can dip in, into the state of, of lucidity almost at will and then from that, um, they can tap into transpersonal dimensions. And, uh, you know, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, of course, there are many um, kind of shamanistic ex, uh, expressions of this capability where, where the literature talks about great beings being able to tap in almost at will. So that, would, I would argue, is, is kind of a Tibetan analog to what I understand is the transinductions of the shamanic tradition. Um, but again, to me, it's like they both have their bandwidth of applicability. And it's a way to work with different states, depending on different talents, cultural um, predispositions and the like. So something like that. It's, it sounds like two, um, two different vehicles going to the same destination. Yes. Yes, I think you could say that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just whether it's done in a, in a kind of more traditional shamanistic way or whether it's done this way, um, I believe you can access these different dimensions of mind indeed from these different approaches. That's certainly my experience. Well, you know, much of shamanic trance work comes through in allegorical forms. Is it the same with lucid dreaming or is it more uh, literal? Well, again, say a a little bit more about what you mean by that. Um, Well, so say, for instance, uh, shamanic I might go into a shamanic trance and ask a question and get a series of uh, metaphorical representations that I have to then interpret to get the get the intel. Yeah. Right. Well, it can work both ways. So that what you just mentioned is a little bit more in line of kind of classic dream incubation mm-hmm. 
in that interpretation where they were literally either the person themselves or working with the dream interpreter would come back with exactly that kind of data and then it would be interpreted. So when you're engaged in, again, the, the lucid dreaming state, you have access to that if, if you want it. You can sit back. It's called actually a witnessing lucid dream. Um, so instead of trans- transforming the content of the dream or working to self-liberate it, one aspect of lucidity is kind of a dispassionate witnessing. It's like you're in the theater of your deeper mind watching the display. And instead of directing it, you bear witness to it. In that regard, you, you can, in fact, um, you know, either through direct incubation in advance or through spontaneous expression, you can have these deeper insights well up, um, be perceived in that state. And as you know, th- this is no small thing because the this type of sophisticated relationship to your deeper dimensions of mind can literally save your life. I mean, Carl Jung talked about this. The literature is replete with this sort of thing where these kinds of these dreams of premonition can literally save your life. And in the Buddhist view of mind, it's really interesting here, Gwilda, that they often um, assert that karma ripens um, in the dream state before it manifests in waking reality. So when you're working with the dream state in this lucid way, it's as if you're working with the blueprints of your experience before it's manifested in constructed waking reality. And so if you have a sophisticated relationship to your dreams, they can literally save your life or the lives of others. Um, and so that's a kind of a, a corollary, a sidebar benefit of this type of practice. And I have used this myself. I've used it in, in a process of what's called surrogate dreaming, where you can um, have you can incubate dreams and you can have dreams for others. And this again is really dovetails in with the shamanic approaches to these so-called altered states. Absolutely. So, so, so what's if you're having dreams for others, you're kind of dreaming in their space. What are the ethics behind that? Um, yeah, what a great question. Well, you know the ethics. Um, in order to really do this at the deepest levels, from my experience, it has to be, or it is most efficaciously fueled by a, a tremendous sense of um, compassionate intent. And so the ethics here is really should be driven by this sense of benefit. And um, in, in fact, it's one of the classic ways of bringing about heightened lucidity in, in the induction of it is to work with these practices for the benefit of others. Um, and so if that's what you mean by ethics, yeah, that's, a, that's one way to talk about that, 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 that type of pure, um, intent to do this for the service of others, um, helps facilitate the process itself and keeps the ethics pure. So and that, how, how about, yeah, how about permission? Where, where do you stand on getting permission before you dream into somebody else's dream? Well, you know, again, I'm hearing two things here, literally entering the, the dream space of another. That's a slightly different um, kind of issue. And it's it's also, as you know, it's a bit. Um, it's a point of debate whether one can actually do that. There are some traditions, of course, that say unequivocally, you know, that these deeper dimensions, you know, there is some researchers say the farther down the rabbit hole you go, the more collective the experience becomes. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, I do believe in my experience that you can, in fact, have this kind of, of deep um, communion with others. And, you know, whether whether, uh, you know, you need to ask for permission in advance from the other to do that. Um, that's an open question to me. I think if your intent is pure um, then that you know could supersede that because you're doing it for the benefit of others. But I, I personally don't do it that much. This is not a, a part of my classic dream yoga practice. So I can't speak with a great deal of personal authority about these sorts of things. It, it occurs to me that it can be, we have a couple minutes left here, it can be somewhat spontaneous too, contacting others in a dream. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes. In fact, usually when I have these surrogate dreams, um, in my own experience, they, they have happened serendipitously. You know, there, there may be one or two occasions where I've incubated them with intent. But very often they arise because you have this deeper connection with another person. And again, if your intent is pure and you have a talent for this, it can happen spontaneously, definitely. Mm. Don't you think that there's some people that just really are wired to work together and we work together in our sleep as well as our waking? I think so. I do think so, Yes. Yeah, that that's resonant with my experience and with what I've also read in the literature, for sure. We've got uh, a minute left. So okay. what, are, what are the pitfalls in lucid dreaming? Can it be dangerous? Are there any contraindications? Oh, it, 
not really in my experience. I've, I've never had any untoward consequences. Um, you know, if you understand that the nature of your mind is fundamentally good, it's fundamentally pure and divine, there's nothing whatsoever to fear. There is an intermediate bandwidth that we have more time we could talk about where, yeah, that's a repository for all kinds of unconscious residue. That can be somewhat disconcerting when you experience it. But this is why it's important to have a good map of the mind, realize the divine basic goodness of your own mind, and realize that when you go down there, you have nothing actually to fear, but you truly have everything to look forward to. Mm. Andrew, this has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, where can people get a hold of you? Oh, you're so kind. Um, well, you know, my website, as you so generously has, has, uh, have stated, you know, Andrew Holacek, H-O-L-E-C-E-K. I post all my um, publications and teaching programs and podcasts like this on that. Great. That's, we're going to have to. We're going to have to go. Time flies. Okay. Andrew, thank you again. It's been our, such a delight. Our guest this hour has been spiritual teacher Andrew Holacek. He's the author of Dream Yoga: Illuminating Your Life Through Lucid Dreaming and the Tibetan Yogas of Sleep. His website: andrewholacek.com. This has been the Science of Magic. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you empower your dreams.